Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Yes, we are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag Big Strong Yes for announcements and discussion. And of course, Mandy Kay's beautiful graphics that she always shares under that hashtag, <laughs> which are just amazing. You can follow yes. me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. And you can also email us at BSY for Big Strong Yes at chipperish.com. The engagement of our listeners has been one of the best surprises from doing this podcast. And we would love to hear your voices on our Rising Strong finale episode, which airs on September 6th. I know we're almost there. It airs on September 6th. We're recording it on September 2nd, which is crazy. So please call the Chipperish hotline at 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447. And leave us a message that we can play in the show. Tell us about your big ideas, your strong challenges, and most of all, most of all, your yeses. Or just let us know what you learned from this experience or what it's done for you. We would love to hear everything that you guys have to say. Um, And we will be sharing what we have learned as well in that show. So I am very excited. I think it's going to be really fun. Oh, I cannot wait. That is going to be the coolest thing ever. I know. <laughs> so yes, please call and let us use your voices and share your stories and participate with us on the show. That's going to be so much fun. Oh, it really is. I'm very excited. If you are a Patreon supporter, we have a big strong yes chat room on discord where we both hang out and answer questions and give support and lately ask for advice. And <laughs> it's been, it's been amazing. Yes. Um, it's, it's intimate. It's private to the Patreon supporters who go into that room. And of course, unlike Twitter, Twitter, you can go over 140 characters. Join us at patreon.com slash chipperish. Yes, and thank you to everyone for the support that you've been giving the show and for participating with us online. Your tweets and the graphics that you make and the comments and reviews mean so much to us. If you enjoy Big Strong Yes, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is the absolute best way to support the show and get it the attention that, quite frankly, I think it deserves. I think this is very special. <laughs> you know, the line from my cousin Vinny, I think you should give it to me. Like, <laughs> I would love for people to post reviews if they have the time and don't mind yeah. doing it. But it, it really helps us out a lot. It does. So the reading we'll be discussing today is Rising Strong Chapter 9, Composting Failure. And next week's reading is Rising Strong Chapter 10, You Gotta Dance With Them That Brung You. I love that chapter We're, title. That is my favorite chapter title too. of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great title. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're finding that we're getting so much out of these readings that less is more when it comes to the syllabus. And so we've reworked the Big Strong Yes schedule to make the reading shorter and adding in a few more shows. The link to the schedule is in the show notes, or you can go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes schedule, and you'll find exactly what you should be reading to follow along with us. Yeah, that'll tell you what we're going to be doing and when we're going to be doing it. And also, it's a good thing to do because, you know, we reserve the right to like 
change it if we need to. If, it, if, <laughs> if, right. if it's not working, we might shift things around. Yes. I think we're probably okay now, although we were a little overloaded before, which is why we had to expand it. But but every now and again, going in and checking the schedule and making sure that there haven't been any changes. If there are any changes, I'm going to put them right up there and, uh, and you'll be able to monitor yeah. them. I also have a link at the top of that page to the Google Sheet that I update first. Like whenever I change anything, I update the Google <laughs> Sheet and it all automatically propagates with all of the dates and everything that's going on. So that's a good thing to be able to check as well. So the lesson from this is that one of us is organized. <laughs> the other one of us is like, oh, chapter, day, schedule. Uh, one of us is running a media company and the other one is very generously giving her time. So uh, I think that's okay. <laughs> oh, so um, speaking of time and syllabi, yes. we had homework yes, last we did. week. How did your homework go? Um, it went pretty well. My homework was to continue with the affirmations because I was I was really hating them. Um, so, <laughs> and I didn't feel like they were working, and it was all you know weird and blah blah and whatever. Um, and so I realized finally that I was going about my affirmations wrong. Like I know that I'm strong and I'm brave and I'm smart and I'm funny and blah blah blah. Lots of really great things, right? I have wonderful mm -hmm. qualities, you know. Um, <laughs> and the reality for me was that that doesn't matter. And and this is what I've been coming up against. Like I've always been saying that I feel pretty good about myself, although patently, obviously I don't, right? But my, my sense is like I have a strong sense of self-esteem regardless mm -hmm. of the, the, you know, blatant evidence uh, to, to stay otherwise, right? You know, a lot of which has been shared in this very podcast. Um, so I, I realized that all of those things you know, um, affirming that I am those things isn't really getting to the heart of the problem for me. Um, because it's just, it's not where my problem is. So I wrote a new affirmation last week and I went and recorded, um, every day I did the same affirmation, the exact same thing. And I actually have a recording of this affirmation. There's a video up on YouTube, um, showing you guys what the affirmation is and how I did it. Um, and also having that video, um, being able to watch it for me has been really valuable because I am looking at me telling myself these things. Um, right. So it's actually been valuable. But here is the new affirmation. And if anybody wants to borrow it, if anybody wants to use it, I highly recommend it. It actually worked really well for me. Of course, it was, you know, it was geared for me, by me, written by me. So it's all about me. Uh, but, uh, but it definitely works for me. So here is the affirmation as I have written it. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not deficient. You deserve love and respect, not because you are a lot of wonderful things, although you are, but because you are human and you would never deny those things to anybody else. The people who couldn't love and respect you, that was because there was something wrong with them. But there is nothing wrong with you. Wow. So that is my affirmation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I recorded that every day for a few days. I've made the video. The link will be in the show notes. Um, and one of the things that I have found um, uh, kind of like interesting, but in like a, a kind of a sad way, is this essential sense of unworthiness, this essential sense of, of unlovability was something that you know, you think is just you, right? right? You think that because you know, everybody else is lovable, you know, everybody else has value. So you think that you're the only one who feels like you don't. And one of the eye opening experiences uh, through this podcast has been as I've been sharing this sense of my own lack of value, my own lack of worth, 
I have heard so many people just chime in with me too. Right. Me too, I feel this way. Me too, I can't establish boundaries. Me too, I put myself last on every list, you know? Um, and so I, I feel like this affirmation kind of gets to the heart of that essential problem. And the fact that so many other people said me too, even though I've always kind of known on an intellectual level that, you know, that, that just being human gives you value. You know, being human is one of the most amazing things that you can be. What we are able to do, what we're able to experience, the, the magic of, of being human is, is unbelievable and should be honored in everybody. You know, everybody's humanity needs to be honored. And I think a lot of the problems in our society come from the fact that we fail to honor each other simply for being human and fail to honor ourselves simply for being human. Right. We just don't do that enough. Yes. Um, and somehow seeing all these amazing, wonderful people who I have valued greatly saying me too has, I think, finally started to wake me up to how incredibly fallacious this way of thinking is and how dangerous. Um, and these affirmations, while none of the affirmations were working for me, um, doing just one week of these affirmations has made a big difference for me. It's, it's been kind of a thing. Um, so I'm interested to see if anybody else is, is having that me too experience, like try this affirmation, see if it works, do it whatever way you need to. I couldn't do it in a mirror. I couldn't do it in a mirror. It just made me crazy. Yeah. But I mean, if you can do it into a video, if you could record an audio, you know, memo on your phone of you saying this to yourself and then listen to it, listen to yourself saying this to you, you know, right. um, I want to see if that's valuable for people. It was, it was really valuable for me. So the video that you put together mm -hmm. is amazing. Thank you. I mean, truly goosebump, tear worthy. Yeah. It is It is incredible and it's beautiful and it's powerful. And it is so authentically you. And it's one of the bravest things I've ever seen anyone post. So Aww. I just want to thank you for making it. It, was, it truly is incredible. Um, but I think it should be required viewing for anyone who struggles with this feeling of a lack of, of value or yeah. a lack of self-worth because you've, you've summarized exactly what we struggle with. And one of the most powerful healing things that you can hear from another person is me too. Yeah. And I don't think we spend enough, we don't spend enough time doing that together. We don't share a lot of those things and, and there is nothing more affirming or that would give you a sense of belonging more than saying, you know, here is my issue, problem, experience and having another person say me too, yeah. you know, is, is amazing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, you've done that now for, for so many people, you've given them the me too by creating the kind of video that you created and it's, it's pretty incredible. Oh, well, good. You know, I'm glad that, that I can do that. I really am. Because all of the people who said me too, it took all of those amazing people feeling this way to make me finally sort of like really wake up to it, really understand that this is, this isn't right. You know, this isn't the way right. that it should be. And in just a week, you know, I mean, I got to say, I got to hand it to Crystal. She knew. She knew what to do. <laughs> you know, she's, she's got it together. Um, I didn't think the affirmations were going to be helpful, but I, I worked with them and found a way to make them helpful for me, to make them specifically helpful for me. And so if that can be helpful for anybody else, or even if having me look into the camera, speaking to them 
and saying, right. you are not deficient. There is nothing wrong with you. Like, look at that video and don't think of me speaking to me, but think of me speaking to you. If you trust my judgment on anything, <laughs> trust my judgment exactly. on this thing, because I believe this to be true. I'm finally believing this emotionally as well as knowing it intellectually. And that has been something of a transformative experience for me this week. It's amazing. I think if we have like a big, strong yes award <laughs> that we could start giving out, I kind of want to go and buy Crystal a mimosa. I know. And, you know, give her a hug and be like, hi, hi, <laughs> well, baby. You, come to you visit, don't know me. When we come to visit, we'll see if, if she can, if she can let us buy her a drink, you know, or maybe we can, maybe we can buy her a drink and like give her, cause I don't know. It's weird. Like you're not supposed to hang out socially with your I therapist know. and that's, yeah, that's personal, but maybe we can buy her like a a gift certificate to a bar or something and say, go have a mimosa on us. You don't have to have it with us. But go oh, no, have a I love that. Us, you know, there, um, there should be such a thing as a, a bar gift certificate, like for oh, a yeah. specific drink. Like Absolutely. that's awesome. Absolutely. Buy her a drink. Um, yeah. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> all right. So how did your homework wow. go this week? So first of all, <laughs> I should have gone first because following you on that homework <laughs> ain't something I want to attempt. Like, <laughs> I feel like you are moving mountains and I am like, you know, playing with the little sandcastle over here. No comparative comparative language. Did you learn nothing from Dr. Brown in this reading? I I have learned nothing. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, So my homework was a a very fun assignment Mm -hmm. um, to write some fan fiction. And so I went to the Buffy universe, of course, Mm -hmm. um, and I did write two pages, which is two pages more than I'd written before. (laughs) And the actual writing of the thing was fun. Good. Uh, Getting to the writing was a struggle. Mm -hmm. So um, time and energy come at a high premium. And my default MO is to cut the fun stuff. Yeah. Cut the creative stuff. Mm -hmm. And over years of practice, this has become a hardwired habit. And talking that through with you is what made me realize this has become a habit. It's not that I have writer's block. It's not that I am not capable. It's that I have gotten so accustomed to doing the creative last Mm -hmm. that my brain just believes I don't have, like, it's the last thing that, you know, it's not important enough. Therefore, I'm not going to. And you never get to the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's always been at the bottom of the list. So I procrastinated and daydreamed about the idea some, but I didn't carve out time to do the actual writing until very late last night, also known as very early this morning. But this is, (laughs) this is one of those occasions where I am so incredibly grateful to be part of this podcast, because I am not about to come in front of all these people and say, I didn't do my homework, y'all. Like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) So I, I you know, it's, it's holding me to, to a a level of, of authentic, honest, Mm -hmm. you know, requirement to share my actual work with people. Mm-hmm. So I, I made time to do the thing. And um, this may or may not have been followed by a little bit of rum. But I spent <laughs> I spent like a good hour trying to pick a font. Oh. And then I, I was looking for a script template because I don't know how to format a oh, document baby, like this I'm in a Word. Screenwriter. I could have helped you with that. Of course, if it was two in the morning, I probably would have yeah, asleep, see, but mm-hmm. Cause I didn't, I didn't plan. I didn't ask. I didn't think about it. You know, then I started doing research, (laughs) but 
But I have learned maybe a little um, and tried a new strategy and actually set a timer. Oh, good. So I only had 15 minutes for research. Mm -hmm. And when the timer was off, that was it. And so when the timer went off, I had to close Google. And I turned the damn internet off. Oh, my goodness. I unplugged. That is serious. You unplugged? I unplugged the modem (gasps) from the wall because I am learning (laughs) <laughs> you're stronger than me you know, man i am so i, I am always it. wired in <laughs> yeah because there's always something going on on yeah. twitter i don't care what time it is you yeah. know so i unplugged it and set a timer for 20 minutes and the only thing that i had open was was word yeah. um and it's frustrating not to be able to pull the ideas from my head and have them appear on the page shiny and right and fully formed <laughs> but the actual writing was fun and I like the story idea, and, and I, I actually enjoyed the time, you uh-huh. know, and Good. and I only I only sat there probably for a couple of minutes writing the, okay, now I have to write this before <laughs> I actually wrote some words, mm-hmm. um, but then after the work cooled, I immediately tried to decide if it was, tried to decide if it was good, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the analysis button switched on in my brain, and I was like, how do I make this better? What's it supposed to look like? Oh, hell, I didn't describe a setting or the characters. They're just disembodied voices. I don't know if this makes any sense. (laughs) And I was like, what I really want to do is research folklore and fairy tales from ancient Africa. And then I could write a nonfiction piece about folklore that are hinted at and buffy. And why am I trying to write fiction in the first place? I know how to write nonfiction and blah, 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 blah. Then my brain exploded and I had to go to bed. So, (laughs) but... Homework done at the last possible second is still homework done. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And it was fun. And I think I just have to keep stressing, uh, stretching this muscle and being accountable to people who are supportive. Like I'm mm-hmm. not accountable to a writing teacher who's going to tear this apart. I'm right. accountable to people who want to see that I'm trying. Mm-hmm. And that is a new and different experience. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really cool. And then I think part of it is, you know, finding some kind of time management and habits that actually work for great. me. But you did great. Setting the timer. A timer is a writer's best friend, I gotta tell you. A timer really yeah. is. Because it keeps you from it keeps you on task when you need to be on task and it keeps you from um super procrastinating with the like you're a research there are lots of writers who do this. I know I you know, I have done it from time to time. I'm not as prone to it as a lot of people that I know, but like this super I've got to research and understand everything before I write a word thing is very very common and you absolutely your instincts are dead on setting the timer is the best thing you can do Woohoo! Okay, yeah. then I get a homework gold star. So you did great. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to be discussing this in the How Story Works podcast, but not for a little while. So I just want to tell you a couple of things, all right? Okay. When you are in a drafting phase, which is what you are right now, you know, you said the writing had cooled. The writing doesn't cool until six weeks. When you've left it alone oh. for six weeks, you can come back and take a look at it, and it has cooled significantly that you can use analysis on it. You can look back at it with all of the tools from the, you know, from your, your narrative theory box, which is what we're building over in How Story Works, which is the other, the narrative right. theory podcast that I do. Which um, is such a wonderful podcast. Oh, it's, I I'm love, having so much fun I with it. I love that podcast. I love it. It's so much fun to be able to, like, really talk about all this stuff and have all of my knowledge put in one place. And as soon as I'm done with the podcast, yeah. I'm going to write the book, and then we'll have that as well. 
But um, but one yes. of the things that I want to to tell you right now is that you are in the drafting phase. Your work has not cooled, and the only feedback that you can receive at this point is what's your favorite part. All right, I'm gonna tell I you a little love story. What's your favorite part? Rule. I'm gonna yes, tell a little story, tell story because this is a yes. great story. Um, and again, this is all about writing. So those of you who aren't writers, you're probably gonna be bored for a little bit. But we will get back to the the pain and the heartache no, uh, very very soon. I will say, <laughs> I will say, this applies to any creative endeavor. I think it does. I think it does. So many years ago, um, after my first divorce crack up, uh, the wonderful Jennifer Cruzy, New York Times bestselling author, brilliant, brilliant woman, one of my best friends. I love her dearly. Um, she uh, took me and my kids into her home. Right. And so Jen and I worked together on a book called Dogs and Goddesses, and we worked really, really well because we were both so insanely both self-critical and uh, and critical in a uh, in a constructive way, I think, for other Mm -hmm. people. But like writers come to Jen a lot. Writers come to me a lot. And we have developed this no nonsense. The only way to show true respect for another writer who has come to you asking your opinion is to give them your opinion, not in a cruel way, but in a very straightforward way right because you don't want to waste anybody's time dancing around it you want to say this is what's working this is what's not blah 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 so uh, my lovely daughter Sarah was about 12 years old at the time right and she was starting to uh, both of my kids have grown up like you know if you grow up with a a doctor as a parent you end up learning medical terminology my kids have been learning you know um, narrative terminology from the time they were little so uh, so they've been into writing they've been into fiction and they've both done some really tremendous work in that space which is very very cool to see Um, so she would write these stories right and every now and again she would give them to me and Jen and say you know can you read these and tell me what you think. So Jen and I, having no concept of anything aside from this constructive critical space that you you go through and you're like, here's a problem with your antagonist. Like the best thing for Jen, the best way you can show love for Jennifer Cruzy is by giving her criticism. <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> like, and so she and I, that was kind of a, a, a cornerstone of our relationship was that we were, we were professionally in sync. Like we would, you know, we would be absolutely blunt with each other and we both benefited so much from that. So that's how we treat everybody else. And not everybody else wants that, especially a 12 year old kid. So we start to give her feedback and Sarah goes, no. And she holds up her hand. She's like, no. I just want to know what's your favorite part. <laughs> what what God, do you I love, love that the kid. most? I know. It, it, honestly, this is one of the, the big breakthrough moments for me as a writing teacher. Because when you are in this space, before the work has cooled, and I love that phrase. I'm going to use that and steal it. I haven't thought about that before, but that's exactly what you're looking for. When the work has cooled, you can go back to it analytically. But you can't do that for six weeks. You have to put it away, not think about it for six weeks, not touch it, not think about it. That's how long it takes to cool. Um, But when you're in the drafting phase, when you are creating, um, the only appropriate feedback is what's your favorite part. Now, Jen would argue with me because she like asks for and wants severe criticism all the way through in her process. And you know what? I am not one to question her process. Her process is what it is, right? So I I am totally cool with that. And I allow her to define what her process is. However, Mm -hmm. my advice for most writers and most creatives is that when you are in the creative storm, which is the drafting process, when you are creating, you should not open yourself up to real firm criticism, but you absolutely should and are welcome to go to somebody and say, 
What's your favorite part? Because when you're in the creative place, you need confidence. You need to know what your strengths are. And nobody is going to tell you lies. Nobody's being like, oh, it's wonderful, you know, when it's not. Like, they're going to tell you what is their favorite thing about the writing that you're doing. And those are your strengths. And when you are in a creative place, you need to be confident. You need to work with your strengths. And there is nothing wrong with that. That is a valuable thing for you to do as a creative, as a writer or whatever it is that you're creating. What is your favorite part? What worked? What's working well? Once it has cooled and you are in the revision process, then you can get into the deep criticism. Then you can get into does it work? You know, what's the analysis? All that kind of stuff. Um, but what's your favorite part is absolutely not only legit, but recommended. It is important. You know, you are not coddling yourself and you're coddling no one when you tell them what their favorite part is. So that's something that, okay, I'm done. That will be, that will be in how story works in the future. I will definitely have that discussion over there, but, uh, but it's something that I wanted you to understand now in this part, your, your work has not cooled. It is only what's your favorite part. And you sent me this this morning. I'm very excited. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but when I do, I will absolutely (laughs) tell you, I will absolutely tell you what my favorite part is. Well, I sent it to you as proof of life. Yes. (laughs) Am I allowed to read right. it? I may not yeah, be allowed. Oh, yeah. And that's okay. No, no, you can tell yeah. me not to you can read, read it. it. That's fine. Okay. No, okay. you can totally read it. Um, <laughs> and I, I didn't go back and reread, edit. Like I wrote the thing Good and sent the you. thing. Like it's done. But I love this this framework for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the six-week cooling off period is mm-hmm. awesome because, you know, when you have a baby, your, your post-delivery checkup is six weeks. There's yeah. like some kind of magic about that amount there of is. healing time. There or is. I don't know. So mm-hmm. I can remember that that timing Mm -hmm. there I think that's important but I think that what's your favorite part it it does a couple of things so Mm -hmm. one it allows you to ask for what you need for the particular phase that you're in so if I wrote a research paper I would not need to ask you what's your favorite part Mm -hmm. I would need criticism and I know that about you know I know that process I know where I would be with it but I don't know how to ask for help so much when I am, you know, starting with something that's still new and could mm-hmm. very, very easily be broken, like that very fragile stage of putting something together creatively. Yeah. And so having that kind of tool, right, in the mm-hmm. toolbox to yeah. say, what's your favorite part is is incredibly helpful. And I think it applies to a lot of different things. So, yeah. um, and, it, you know, I'm in the process of moving and unpacking and setting mm-hmm. up rooms. And I've been asking people, you know, what do you think of this layout? Or what do you think of this piece? Or, you know, this photo. And I think sometimes people are, are over helpful mm-hmm. in ways that is not actually what I'm asking for. And I didn't know how to ask what I was right. asking for. Mm-hmm. But if I can say, hey, I've set up this room, what's your favorite part so far? Right. That's a whole different conversation. Exactly. You know, and, and you could use that in so many areas. And I think that's a great tool to have and, and to teach people and to share. So mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and really building cool. on strengths. There's nothing wrong with right. building on strengths. I think people feel like they're being self-indulgent, you know, if they're just asking, yeah. like, pet me and tell me I'm pretty. But that's not it. What it is, right. is I need confidence. This is a fragile point in the process. I am honoring that fragility. And I am saying mm-hmm. right now, what are my strengths? 
Let me build right. on my strengths so that when I'm ready to analyze, when I'm ready to go back in, when I'm ready to work on the weaknesses, I don't miss the strengths. I don't screw up what's good in order to fix what's wrong. If you focus only on one part of that equation, then you, your work is going to be inherently unbalanced. And so creativity in any form, you know, and, and one of the things that happens a lot and that we're, when we get into big magic, we're going to be talking about a lot that we're specifically talking kind of about writing because you and I are both writers and, and Elizabeth Gilbert is talking about writing. But creativity is a process that applies to Anytime you create something from something else, when you garden, you are engaging in a very sacred form of creativity. When you cook, you are engaging in a sacred form of creativity. When you clean your house, when you rearrange furniture, you are engaging in creativity. And this is something that is, is part of the human experience. It's part of who we are and it is essential part of who we are. So sometimes a lot of people will be like, well, I'm not an artist and I'm not a writer and I don't do those things. So I'm not creative. And that's absolutely untrue. Um, everybody engages in creativity every day. And I think mm -hmm. that it is, um, it is important to honor that as part of your experience and to understand that there are things, there are parts of that creativity where you need to focus on what it is that's good. You know, I'm not a great cook. I've never been a great cook. I've been learning to cook, um, you know, recently with the kids. And so like, you know, it's good to know what I'm doing well, what's working, what do we like about this particular dish, you know, and, and then, you know, what do we don't like? What do we not like? What's not working? Right. It? You know, it's too salty. It's too this. I need to adjust it. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but creativity happens in so many different arenas and it is truly an arena. Every time I get up and cook, trust me, I am in the arena, <laughs> right? Um, and creativity is always an arena. So, um, so whatever it is that you're doing, like, what applies creativity applies to so it's so much broader than the creation of art you know or yeah. writing a book or anything like that there's creativity that everybody engages in and when you do I think you need to keep these things in mind to build on your strengths building on your strengths makes your work as much or does as much for your work as acknowledging and addressing the things that aren't working your weaknesses and I think as I hear you talk about this and I think about this and, and thinking in terms of our reflections for the week and mm -hmm. this podcast and the work we're doing, I think the what's your favorite part can apply on a very personal level too. Yeah. So one of the things that you did was write your I am already this tall list. Yes. And, and we've had some amazing participation with that oh, yeah. online. But then I know there are a lot of people like me who struggled to write one, who weren't able to write one, mm -hmm. who wrote one with words that they felt they should write instead of words that they felt were authentic. Mm -hmm. um, and now that I hear you talk about this, I think what's your favorite part about yourself oh, might be yeah. a great way to actually write that list. That's a great and it, access you point. Know, yeah, it really is. And, and, and I had, and personally, I was not able to, like, I just haven't been able to get past the, that first shallow layer of that list. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it like this, it's a little different. And so if anyone else is struggling, if you're trying to work on self development or healing or any of the things that you're working with or, or reckoning or struggling, maybe give yourself a minute to actually think about what are the favorite parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. That, that might be really cool. I love that. I love that. Because for me, like my access point to my favorite parts of myself has always been through the work, right? But it's right. because I go through the work and I see those strengths in myself that I can move into the personal space as well. So if it gives you an access point, 
you know, yes. for you to talk about those things that are that are good and strong and, and tall about you. You know, I love this hashtag. I am this tall. I love yes. people it's... sharing all those things. It's wonderful. But you're right. Sometimes you say the things you think you should say, but you don't really feel them, you know. Um, right. And I think that that is uh, that's really great. So I'm glad that I did go off on that wild tangent because I think that maybe no, it might actually it's... be valuable. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. So speaking of your, your list and your yes. stuff last week, um, what, what have your reflections been? You've had a pretty powerful week. I have, um, you know, the, uh, the affirmation was working for me. Um, I'm also f like moving out of this space of should, you know, mm -hmm. um, one of the things you said last week, which I absolutely love was don't should all over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to put on a t-shirt, you know, um, but, but I mean, I'm moving out of, I, I have lived in should for my entire life. I have lived in, I know what I should be. I know what I should do. I know what I should feel and feel is especially dangerous because there is no should feel. You feel right. what you feel. And if you feel this way, there is a legitimate reason. You may not know what it is, but there's a legitimate reason. I have spent my entire life denying what I'm feeling, what I know, what I recognize, because it didn't feel like it's what I should be feeling. You know, I shouldn't, mm -hmm. I shouldn't be angry, right? You know, um, I shouldn't be distrustful. Um, you know, it's all of these things. And yet there was a reason for me to be angry and there was a reason for me not to trust. Um, but I didn't trust myself, you know? So... Right. What I'm doing right now in my life is stepping out of that very safe should place, you know, because, mm -hmm. because it's damaging, but you go there for a reason. You go there because it's safe. One of the things that um, I had in my discussion with Crystal this week in our therapy was, um, was I was talking about all of these things that I do that I feel are negative and damaging and all of that. And she said, look, you grew up in a hostile childhood environment. You know, they talk about a hostile work environment, right? Right. And a hostile <laughs> childhood environment. And because of that, I developed certain things that saved me, that rescued me when I was in that environment. And I developed those as defense mechanisms throughout my entire life, even after I moved out of that environment. So in the environment, they kept me alive, you know, because they were necessary. But outside of that environment, they ended up doing damage because I didn't need them. And I shouldn't have, have, I, okay, I don't want to say should. Um, I didn't need them. <laughs> they created, they, they were damaging, they were harmful, right? Uh, right? Because they were unnecessary in that environment. So, um, so one of the things that, that I'm trying to do is recognize those defense mechanisms and honor them as things that mm -hmm. kept me alive in a mm -hmm. hostile environment that kept me going, that kept me okay in a hostile environment, but that I'm not in that hostile environment anymore. So I don't need to do these things. It's like, it's like me going to my job at, you know, the university, which is a fairly safe space in full battle gear and Kevlar vest and carrying right. around all of these safety things that are simply unnecessary in that environment. So I've got to, I'm trying to drop the Kevlar. You know, I'm trying to drop all of those things. And it means that the safety that I felt holding on to those things isn't there as much anymore. And I don't feel as safe, but I feel I, I feel more peaceful, I think, is the word I'm looking for. I feel more right. right. Does that make sense? Right. 
Yeah. So I'm I'm really starting to believe that Crystal is a genius. She's fantastic. Because she's like so I mean, a metaphor or a framework or a way of understanding things is is really the secret to moving something from tacit knowledge to explicit knowledge yes. or from an intellectual understanding to an emotional one. Mm-hmm. And when you just said that about there was something you needed in your childhood environment that kept you alive that hurts you in a different environment, I started, you know, thinking about almost being on, you know, two different planets or Mm -hmm. being deep underwater instead of above water. Like you need a different kind of oxygen. You need a different kind of breathing, you know, thing. And then if you try to use that when you're back on earth, it'll kill you. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you can think of it in terms of in that environment, I needed this to breathe. Right. And in this environment, the air is different and it is poison here. That's a hell of a concept to help you understand how to shift those gears. And also not to blame myself for right. using a tool that was absolutely necessary for me to survive. Like, absolutely. this is how I got through that childhood. This is how I became what I am today, which is, you know, pretty fucking impressive if I don't say so myself. So, Damn um, right. <laughs> so, so I think that um, being able to, to not judge myself for these defensive things that I do being able Mm -hmm. to look at that and say, wow, kid, you know, it's pretty impressive. You were able to put on that Kevlar at such a young age, you know, but you don't need it now. Um, It's, it's helpful because God, the self judgment that I have been engaging in almost blindly my entire life is so unnecessary and counterproductive. And so now I'm, I'm living outside of that safety zone. I'm not protecting myself with defensive measures. Um, I am. I am recognizing and understanding things that I'm. I'm taking on faith, and I'm. I'm trusting myself. One of the things that that Crystal keeps bringing up is that you have to learn how to trust yourself. That it is not about being able to trust other people, but rather to trust yourself because. In circumstances where I should have been distrustful, I knew it and I was distrustful, but then I felt like I shouldn't have been like I was wrong for feeling that way. Um, but what it really was, was I was I had a good instinct and I knew what was happening, you know. Um, right. And so learning to trust myself is is kind of essential. And I was listening to oh, my God, I've been listening to the Oprah uh, Soul podcast, oh, um, yes. which is part yes. of her. And by the way, there are two Brene Brown uh, yep. interviews in that podcast, which are life-changing. I listen to them over and over and over again. Dr. Brene Brown is amazing. I have been horribly horrible to her on this podcast and I hate that, <laughs> but I, I love her. She's so good. Her work is so good and so valuable. Yeah. And I was, I was listening to another episode of that in which a woman was talking about, um, about infidelity or maybe it was, maybe it was the soul podcast. It might've been something else I'm listening to. It might've been dear sugar, which is the other one now I'm into because you told me mm-hmm. to listen to the Oprah episode of that. And it's, it's, yeah. you know, I've been yeah. listening to all Pretty- of these. Pretty much where Oprah leads, I will follow. Yes, exactly. I, just... <laughs> I, I love her so much. But one of these podcasts I was listening to, they were talking about infidelity and that the secret to people who stay together after infidelity is not that the 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 victim of the infidelity learns to trust this other person again, but that she learns or, you know, I'm saying she like it's always a woman who's cheated on and it's not the case. Um, but just for for the lack of, you know, a pronoun, she has to learn how to trust herself. That, that you don't recover from infidelity, whether you're going to be with that person again or not, without learning to trust yourself, that that is the trust that is most essential. And so that is what I'm, I'm kind of dealing with now. I'm, I'm 
behaving in a way I'm, I'm conducting myself in a way that is, is showing trust in myself, even though looking at it rationally, it's a, um, it's, it's one of those irrationally or looking at it from an external point of view. You know, it's one of those things that, that could be seen as being also destructive and I'm going to follow that. I'm going to have faith in that, that it's going to go somewhere, even if I can't really tell where it's going to go. Well, and that is completely within your purview. That's mm-hmm. within your right, you know, and, and honoring what you feel you should do and what's right for you and what you mm-hmm. need is exactly I think how you learn to trust yourself again. Yeah. How about you? How were your reflections this week? I think for my big reflection, I wrote, I'm tired. Moving moving is stressful. Yes. Moving is stressful and exhausting. Yes. Getting a a teenager ready for a new school year is stressful and exhausting. Parenting a teenager while moving, (laughs) going through a lot of changes, starting a new job when you can't take any time off, Uh and getting ready for school and moving all at the same time is stressful and exhausting. (laughs) So I feel like I'm whining a little, but I I crashed some earlier this week. Um, Once badly, which ended up with me crying. Oh, sweetheart. At work. Oh, God. I I cried. so hard for you. At work at work for the first time in 20 years i cried at work and you know how tom hanks says there's no crying in baseball (laughs) and if you don't go watch a league of their own because it's wonderful (laughs) for me there's no crying at work i hear hear your sister yeah i you know i was embarrassed and i was so damn mad at myself and i'm still rumbling with that one and I'm still overwhelmed and I'm learning how to use the emotional word that says yes. I'm overwhelmed. And it's great mm-hmm. to reckon that I'm overwhelmed and realize what it feel like and what it feels like and name the damn thing and rumble with all that shit. But now I'm ready to not be overwhelmed anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I want to do something about it. I'd like to be done being overwhelmed now, please. Yes. And it frustrates, like it frustrates the ever loving shit out of me to recognize a problem and not know how to fix it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm struggling with that. But on the positive side of Reflections for the Week, yes. um, Alan and Anya from the new Hallowed Ground Storycast podcast are amazing, oh, yeah. fiercely kind people. And so they took the little play, the script that I posted in the show notes last week that I had written in middle school, and they yes. recorded the rap while they were recording one of their podcasts and they sent the audio file. And that is one of the coolest things anybody has ever done for me. It was sweet and it's funny. And I'm going to post the audio in the Chipperish uh, discord chat room with their permission. Of course, they they said it was, they said it was fine. They didn't want us to do it publicly, but in the discord chat room, we can do it. Yes. And it was so So, sweet and adorable. I was so touched when I heard that. Yeah. Well, and it came on a day when they could not possibly have known how badly <laughs> I needed, like I needed a hug. And, oh, yeah. you know, my, my, so my full reflection is people can well and truly astonish you and mm-hmm. creative gifts are good for the soul. Yeah. So I can't thank them enough for that. Alan, Anya, Aww. thank you. Oh, so. they're so sweet. Alan and Anya, I love you guys so much. And I am so excited yeah. for the, um, for the Hallowed Ground Storycast. They're going to start talking about Buffy on their first yes. episode, which they just recorded. So it's probably not going to be up just yet, but if you guys keep a lookout for it. Um, and I sent them a little recording talking about Buffy that, uh, that, that they may put in there. I don't know if they will, but they may put it in there. So I'm, 
I'm very excited yeah. to hear them discuss all of Buffy because it is such a powerful text and I yes. love it. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of text, yes, let's jump into the reading. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Let's talk about all of this stuff. How did you do with the reading this week? So I did okay. Um, mm-hmm. I was a little frustrated with this reading because I feel like there are some incredibly important concepts in this chapter mm-hmm. and they're they're wrapped around stories from the business world, yeah. kind of like a, a business consulting or a business case study. Mm-hmm. And it didn't resonate with me as much. Um, but the idea of a sinkhole mm-hmm. is a good tool for my toolbox. Yeah. And so on page 187, she was talking about the, the key to success is knowing yourself and knowing where your personal quicksand is because everyone has sinkholes, things like mm-hmm. emotional blinders or fear of losing, be defensive, that, that become kind of our habitual responses to mm-hmm. emotional you know, sinkholes. Yeah. Um, and I like that in terms of, you know, triggers and struggles and, and the rising strong process. I mm-hmm. just wish they had been more deeply explored in a more personal context. Yeah, this was a very professional chapter, which is why yeah. I was completely comfortable with all of it. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I didn't, yeah. I could have, I think I could have skimmed through this one pretty, mm-hmm. pretty easily if yeah. I didn't make myself go back. And, in, and I think it might have been a secret self-defense mechanism that I had originally paired this chapter with another one right. for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when I had to go back and do this one by itself, I had to dig in a little deeper. Yeah. And, um, and I did find a really good tool, a really good practice on mm-hmm. page 194 mm-hmm. about rewriting your shitty first draft or just rephrasing something in your head with a, a couple of tiny word tweaks mm-hmm. that, the delta or the difference between I am and I did. Sure. So I am a screw up versus mm-hmm. I screwed up and separating who we are from what we've done yeah. is a very important tool for everybody's toolbox. Which really I think brings us to what I felt was one of the most powerful concepts in this chapter, like personally, you know, mm-hmm. um, was this idea of guilt versus shame. Right. That guilt is I did wrong and shame is I am wrong. And the the tweak in that language and in that understanding can be so incredibly powerful. I mean, I have felt like this sense of guilt my whole life or what I defined as a sense of guilt my whole life. Um, I had a therapist when I was going through the first divorce who described me as being hyper responsible that yeah. because of my childhood, because I had to move into kind of a, a position of parenting, uh, at least myself, you know, because children who are neglected tend to to go into this parentified space where they have to be both the child and the parent, and you can't be mm-hmm. the child and the parent. So you got to be a parent, you know, you got to take care of everything, you got to make sure everything is taken, you know, done and all this kind of stuff. And so because of this hyper responsibility, I have felt responsible for things that are outside of my control um, so often, you know, um, and a million things, things that I do, things that other people do, things, everything. Like, I feel like I'm responsible for everything. Um, and so on page 197, she says more times than not, what we think is guilt is really shame and fear of not being enough which is absolutely at the core of that issue for me, that that what I've been defining my entire life as feeling guilty has not been guilt. It's been shame. It's been if I was strong enough, if I was smart enough, if I was good enough, this wouldn't have happened. I could have prevented it because I have spent my whole life 
trying to prevent bad things from happening and you can't do it. You know, uh, one of the things I love the movie French kiss, I absolutely love, but there's this one point where the Meg Ryan character says there's, there's no home safe enough. There's no relationship, you know, strong enough. There's no, there's no way to prevent the bad things from happening. It's a really, really great moment. And I love that movie for a lot of reasons, but that's one of the things that I absolutely love in it. And, um, and that quote is something that always comes back to me that you, you don't have that kind of power and to, assess yourself with that kind of power and yet constantly feeling this failure to control the universe to your liking, you know, to make everything safe for everybody, to make everything better for everybody, to prevent every possible bad thing from happening and to feel the weight of that on you all the time, which is what I have felt my whole life. Um, that's debilitating and it comes not from guilt because guilt is about stuff that's already done. You know, it's like, it's shame about not being powerful enough, even though I've assigned the responsibility for this thing uh, to me. I, I don't have the power to actually control it. And one of the most stressful things is feeling responsible for things over which you have no control. Um, and I have felt that way my entire life. So this was, I think, probably like in the personal space, the most powerful moment in this chapter for me. Yes, me too. And in fact, for me, the, this concept alone of shame mm-hmm. versus guilt is worth mm-hmm. the price of the whole book. Yeah. And on page 194, she said, the difference between shame and guilt lies in the way we talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Guilt is acceptance of our imperfect humanity and tells you that you need to do something different. It's like a, a moral compass alarm, right? Mm-hmm. You mess something up and you need right. to go fix it. Mm-hmm. But shame is an indictment of our very existence. Oh my shame, God, that is such strong language. An indictment right? of, our very, of our very existence. But of course, that's, that's exactly says. what it is. Yeah. Right. And she said, shame can't survive being spoken. It survives on secrecy, silence, and judgment. And oh, yeah. to me, I think I agree that that's true. But it is also then completely contingent on having good people in your life who are truly on your side yes, and who are able to respond with empathy when you share your shame story, because otherwise they can make it worse. Right. Because empathy is the shame killer, right? Right. You know, I mean, that's the big thing. And, and And people will often try to use your shame and your guilt to control you. Yes. So in a lot of relationships, that ends up being a source of control and and reinforcing that shame right. um, it, it ends up doing so much more damage, you know, in the yes. long run, but it gives them a space to control you. I think on my new personal, you must be this tall list, mm-hmm. whether it's for, you know, someone, anyone in my life, a friend or anyone, I think the one of the big requirements is if I bring you shame, you, you must return empathy. Oh, yeah. And if, if I bring you shame and you make the shame worse, oh, yeah. then you're no longer on my side. Then that's and it. You that, can't afford those people. Right. And mm-hmm. and that is, that's, a I think, a good, a good litmus test to ask. Yeah. If I bring shame to this person, do I end up with less shame or more? Right. And that's helpful for me. But I think this is going to be probably the biggest area throughout this whole podcast, throughout this whole book. That where mm-hmm. I struggle the most. I I was raised on shame, in shame, with shame. It's, oh, it's yeah. as much a part of me as as my voice and my eyes and my hands. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have made mistakes that I am ashamed of, and I'm still rumbling with that. Um, yeah. And so I just I would like more on this. I think this is the the secret of the book. This is the magic, and mm-hmm. it was kind of wrapped in a business chapter. 
I want stories of people who have overcome shame. I want to learn yeah. how they did it, you know, mm-hmm. because while I'm on board with this intellectually, I don't know how to how to really do it emotionally. And so the more of that specifically, that's what I'm asking for. That's what I need. I want to oh, yeah. learn how to overcome shame. Yeah, it's I mean, that's a, a powerful thing. And there's a lot of stuff actually that she said in this chapter about it that I felt like I wanted more, you know, yes. I wanted more on on page 194 when perfectionism is driving shame is riding shotgun. Oh my God. Yes. yes. You know, all yes. of my perfectionism, right? What was it in the beginning? Like what, what I said, perfectionism is nothing if not running from vulnerability, right? It's yes. running from shame. It's running from that, right. that sense of, if I can do this perfect. If I am beyond reproach, if I am beyond criticism, then I can quiet the shame. But, you know, first of all, no, you can't because, you know, first I haven't done much in my life that has like, you know, met the, the, um, the description of perfect, uh, not a lot, uh, but I've always, stri- I've always striven for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that like, even when I have achieved enough of, you know, this, this perfection for me to feel like, okay, that's okay. That was still only like, that's, that was still the, the lowest base of acceptable for me, right? So it did right. nothing to, to allay the shame that I was working so hard to put to bed. Um, and then we start talking, and she starts talking a couple pages later about blame. And um, page 196, blame is a form of anger used to discharge discomfort or pain, right? And that to me was something that I wanted so much more of, because we have this cultural attitude, right, of it's your own damn fault. Right. Right. And so, I mean, how many times when you're dealing with something that that, you know, you're addressing that's bothering, like it's my own damn fault. It's my own damn fault for believing him. It's my own damn fault for rushing into this marriage. It's my own damn fault. Like all these reasons why everything is my fault, because I didn't see or expect that things would turn out the way that they did, because I was not able to prevent things that were outside of my control that were done by somebody else, you know? Um, And we do this in our culture too. Like the, the one thing, like the one, you know, completely safe area of discrimination is people who are overweight, right? Let's mock them. Let's make fun of them. Let's make um, our world inaccessible to them. Why? Because it's their own damn fault. They shouldn't have that pizza, right? Which by the way, is such unbelievable bullshit. First of all, um, that there are a lot of, a lot of factors that contribute to being overweight. And I mean, I've been overweight my whole life. So, I mean, you know, I have always felt ashamed from that, you know, but just the fact that we, are so gleefully happy to be cruel to people who are overweight. I find one of the more disgusting, you know, disgusting underbelly things in our culture. And I'm hoping that we will get over that pretty damn soon because the the problem is like, even if it is my own fault that I'm overweight, even if it is my own fault, you know, and I did have too many Doritos or whatever, that doesn't change the fact that I deserve human compassion right now. Anyway, it doesn't change that fact, you know, that I'm still a human person in here and I still deserve some basic human respect. And I will say, I mean, as a, as an overweight woman who has struggled with my weight for years and years and years, um, I sort of just accepted the -hmm. fact that I would face criticism or even dislike from people just solely because of how I look. And Mm -hmm. for a while, I just accepted that as normal. 
And what I realized is when I said, um, when you talk about, you know, feelings of belonging, and I think Mm -hmm. I do feel like I have to earn my space. I think as someone who is overweight, I feel like I also have to apologize for taking up too much space. And Mm -hmm. I used to mean that in kind of a a metaphorical joke, but it's not. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's actually really true. And it's, it's one of those things where if it is something you struggle with, you cannot hide it. You cannot, mm-hmm. you can't sober up for a day and no one knows that you're really an alcoholic. Right. You can't yes. hide pills mm-hmm. and have no one know that you're taking them or, you, you know, or whatever your issue is. If you're overweight, you have to, you carry it literally with you all yeah. the time. And whether or not it is even a bad thing, because bodies come in lots of different shapes exactly. and sizes. Exactly. And our definition of obese, by the way is crazy. You know, like what makes you technically obese, please, you know? Right. And there are other cultures and and other time periods where my body shape would have been Mm -hmm. accepted more than others, you know, and so part of it is, is societal and part of it is cultural, but I think it comes from the inherent power of wanting to belong to something so that you're willing to criticize someone who's different simply because it builds on your sense of belonging. Yes. And and instead of being able to embrace difference, knowing that you still have worth. And Mm -hmm. that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. And I think the more as a society that we try to define ourselves on sameness, Mm -hmm. the more we allow for hate and for bigotry and for blame and for, you know, all of those bad things that, that happen and, and so part of it for me is learning, yes, I do want to lose weight because I want to be healthier and I want mm-hmm. to be more fit and all of those things, but that I am still the same person regardless of the, the form of that or the shape yeah. of that is mm-hmm. something I still really, really struggle with. And I think I'm going to for a long time, mm-hmm. but understanding it conceptually that the physical form is not the whole yeah. of a person you know, mm-hmm. um, has been helpful for me, but this, and again, I think there's so much more that could have been done with this chapter. Um, and I, and I don't mean that mm-hmm. as a criticism, it's just things that I found that I want more about. Yeah. So, and, and if you're listening to this and you have, like, if you're like, oh, well, she should read this book, or I know exactly who talks about shame, mm-hmm. um, especially if you've got anything related to shame and, you know, carbs. Um, right. <laughs> like, well, I would I'll love you, to Lindy, hear that. <laughs> Lindy West's Trill. Okay. Lindy uh-huh. West is fantastic. I absolutely love her. She wrote a book called Shrill, and it talks a lot about her uh, struggles with her body image and also just her struggles with being a, an outspoken woman, which is right. a very dangerous thing to be right now. Um, and uh, and I find that book to be like, I really enjoyed reading it. I really like her a lot. She's incredibly strong. She's incredibly brave. Um, and she speaks openly about a lot of things that have, uh, you know, that, that are huge shame triggers for women, including her abortion, which is a whole other discussion. Right. Um, but, uh, but she is uh, probably one of of the bravest people um, I think I've ever I've ever read um, and I when I read her book I feel braver just by association so I would highly recommend that so here's a funny story yes I, you've said that to me before mm-hmm. and I bought the book on audible oh you did and have sat there resisting it for Aww. a good two weeks now it's tough yeah so I think I that may be part of my homework this week is I need Maybe. to read that book Maybe, yeah, you know, I, I mean, so. when you, but when you're ready, like you're, you're 
you're mm-hmm. really tackling a lot of stuff right now. And yeah. I don't think you need to overload your plate. There's some things when you resist, like me and the affirmations, right? That you resist them, but you really need to do them, right? And sometimes when you're just not ready, like that's okay too. You can wait until the moment when you're ready, when you're ready to, to you know, engage with that particular thing. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between resistance and not ready. But I would say don't assign it as homework because then you'll feel really beholden to do it. But rather leave it leave it accessible, you know, have it downloaded okay. on your audible app so yes. that it's there. It's accessible. And when you're ready, I think you'll turn to it, but you may not okay. just be ready for it yet. I'll, I'll list it as a recommended reading in my okay. syllabus okay. <laughs> for the week. So, so yeah. And speaking of books, this, the part of this chapter that resonated with me the most mm-hmm. was Dr. Brown sharing the story of publishing her first book. Oh, and yeah. this is where she really came alive for me as a person and as a mm-hmm. writer um, and some of the, the the story that she shared in there was so personal and so unique. And it, it was amazing to read that experience and, and to learn from that. And she talked about the idea of powerlessness and despair, which I think mm-hmm. along with shame kind of make a trifecta of incredible ways to fuck up your life. But it was really good, you know, to, to pair these things together yeah. and realize that they go together. Mm-hmm. And on page 202, when she was kind of talking about failure, she said, feelings of powerlessness that often accompany failure start with the all too familiar could have or should have self inventories mm-hmm. and pervasive feelings of powerlessness eventually lead to despair. Wow. And then she quoted Rob Bell to define mm-hmm. despair as a spiritual condition that is the belief that tomorrow will be just like today. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a pretty powerful definition. Yeah. And she said, you know, moving out of powerlessness and despair requires hope and hope happens when we can set goals have the tenacity and perseverance to pursue those goals and believe in our own ability to act which Mm -hmm. in my world of adult learning we think of as self-efficacy which is why you're so strong on the work side of things your self-efficacy is your belief in your ability to do the thing and so when you're tapping into your creativity when you're tapping into your work you're doing that from a place of high self-efficacy which is i think why you've been able to make some of the breakthroughs that you've made because you're Uh connecting you know yeah Mm -hmm. your creative work to this work and i don't know why but for my life i have always been able to hold on to hope Mm -hmm. and the, the grip has gotten slippery and tenuous many times, but I've never let go completely. And I refuse to believe that I can't do better, learn better, become better. And I think it's pretty fucking awesome to be a hopeful badass. Oh, even yeah. when life is, is towering you left and right. And so hope is yours to hold on to as you will. And that is a really important thing that I took out of this chapter. Oh, yeah. And I've always been that way, too. Uh, You know, I've always been incredibly hopeful. I think sometimes even to my own detriment. You know, I've always, you know, like my thing with my mother, right? My mother's Mm -hmm. horrible to me and has never not been horrible to me. I mean, I'm just going to say it like the woman has never had a good day. Like, you know, the best (laughs) I could hope for was when she ignored me, you know. And um, and yet, like I would I would repeatedly let her back into my life on hope hope that she would someday get it that that these things would turn around and um and the thing is that I do 
have continuous hope. I mean, I don't for my mother at this point. She has severe dementia. She's in the declining stages. Um, there's, there's not, you know, this is, this is over, you know? Um, so, so that is something, but, um, but I always have hope. I remain hopeful that people can change, that people can change their life. Well, I think the difference here is how she is specifically defining hope Mm -hmm. and it's, This is also in in my big aha for the week, so we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more. (laughs) But this is hope as in I have the power to do X, and I believe Mm -hmm. that I can. It's not I am hoping that this person is going to do X, and therefore I'm going to keep hopes up. Like it is an internal process. Right, right, right. It's it's about your own personal agency. Right. And so that, Mm -hmm. that to me was much more helpful than hoping as in hoping for the best hoping for my mother to change right 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 (laughs) but hope being I can do this Mm -hmm. like my belief in that ability is different than my belief that something will turn out a certain way right and Mm -hmm. and I think I've never seen it defined that way before I think hope gets muddled with positive thinking a lot right and it's Mm -hmm. sometimes diluted positive thinking right you know it's the secret right if I believe that I'm gonna have a Mercedes I will suddenly have it show up on my lawn right (laughs) oh lord won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz (laughs) yes (laughs) no matter how many times I sing that song ain't no Mercedes Benz showing up in my life (laughs) um so but the other thing that I got from this that I think was helpful was her idea of, of rumbling with regret. Mm-hmm. And part of it, I think I'm at that stage where you start to understand something and you kind of have a, oh, I think this is coming clear. But if you look away, it gets blurry again real fast. Yes. Mm-hmm. And on page 211, she said, no regrets doesn't mean living with courage. It means living without reflection. Yeah. To live without regret is to believe you have nothing to learn, no amends mm-hmm. to make, and no opportunity to be braver with your life. And I think um, when I think about that, my regrets are failures of, of courage, authenticity, and failures of joy. But mm-hmm. I'm still struggling to process and understand the difference between guilt and regret or between shame and regret. Like, mm-hmm. I understand that they're different things and they're related, but if I regret something, am I regretting it? from shame from guilt from regret itself and what do I do with it and yeah I need more here <laughs> yeah know? no I, I understand that because it is there's there's a lot of like fuzzy area kind of in the definition of these things I think the way that I see the regret is that it is directly related to guilt I did something wrong you know that I wish right. I hadn't done right but right. guilt is I think about spurring on the action to either make it right or if it can't be made right to never let that happen again you know to never do that thing again right Right. um and regret i think is just the experience of looking back on something be it you know steeped in shame or in guilt um regret is looking back on something i think that we did right you know we can Mm -hmm. we can regret what we did we can regret our choices the things that we have power over um do you regret can you regret things that other people have done like do I regret the way that my mother treated me when I was a kid I don't feel like that's the right word for that right no I think it I think regret is the result of self action yeah but is it regret plus shame is it regret plus guilt what do you do with that? What lens are you looking at it through? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I I can't speak coherently about it yet. I just know I have to 
I have to think about it. Like that's something yeah, I, I got to rumble learn. with that. Yeah, right? I yeah. have to rumble. Oh, regret is another R word. Jesus Christ! I know. What right? is it with these <laughs> these R's? Constant, yes. constant okay. R words. Oh man. Were there any other big concepts or topics from this chapter that stood out to you? Well, you know, I think a little bit she was talking about the um, the idea of trust and self-trust. Mm-hmm. Um, she had this braving thing where she was talking about trusting others. You know, do they respect my boundaries? Are they reliable? Are they accountable? Do they keep things in the vault? They can, you know, they, do they respect my confidences? Do they behave with integrity, which means they do what they're going to do and they say, you know, what they're, they're what they say reflects in what they do. Uh, non-judgment, are they not judge? Are they judging me? Are they not judging me? You know, and generosity, are they treating me with generosity? Right. So this is this mm-hmm. whole braving approach to trust. And then she goes into self-trust, you know, um, am I respecting my own boundaries? Am I reliable to the promises I make to myself? Am I accountable? You know, all these kinds of things. And am I doing this for other people, you know? Um, And I thought that that was kind of interesting. You know, it's always neat to have an acronym that you can look at and kind of remember all the, all the little elements of it, you know? Right. Um, So I, I thought, cause I do struggle obviously a lot with trusting myself, you know, with trusting, um, trusting my own things. Um, but you know, I don't know that I don't feel like I got, I got anything out of this that helped me sort of understand how to, how to trust myself more when I have, you know, I've had such a problem with it. One of the things she says on page 200 is that self-trust is often a casualty of failure. And for me, that's not the case. I mean, it's very specifically for me, self-trust is a casualty of, of my childhood of being constantly told that the things that I perceive and the things that I know are wrong, right? right. By the person who had my survival in her hands, right? She was my mother, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so for me, very specifically, I think that this approach to trust and self-trust is something that I need desperately, but doesn't speak specifically to the way in which I, I lost my own self-trust. So right. I kind of have to, to look at it and sort of be like, this can be a starting place, but it's not that valuable for me. I don't know. You don't have as much of a problem with self-trust, do you? <laughs> I don't fairly have... secure. Well, the problem is I'm self-actualized, but that mm-hmm. also makes me cynical. So mm-hmm. I, I do have, I have the hard way developed Mm -hmm. a pretty strong fucking sense of self-trust yeah my problem is the what comes to you so easily is is taking action Mm -hmm. so I can realize this is what I want but when it comes to actually doing the thing Mm -hmm. that's where I freeze so I think I have a I think I have a high level of understanding and a low level of action Mm-hmm. And that's something that I have to work on. Yeah, I think that we can both kind of like shift a little bit more toward the middle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is always where you want to go, right? That you would be incredibly just helpful. Shift to the middle a little bit. <laughs> yes. Uh, not that go pendulum. too far to either yes, extreme. That's right. That right. pendulum swinging, baby, and we and we want to get toward the middle. But it's an area where we're helping each other, which is also yeah. very good. You know, no, it is. It's it's really valuable because we, you know, we're going through this process together. And obviously, like, you know, y'all uh, imagine that we're on the phone every day and we are constantly. <laughs> we're, I'm rumbling with this. Here's my shitty first draft. First like draft. this is constant text yes. and back and forth with me. Kelly. I, I don't think a day goes by where we are not no. in touch at least a little bit. Right. But I have to say sharing this language with friends is is incredible because I now have a couple of friends who we can text each other. And the first Mm -hmm. line is, here's a shitty first draft. Right. And then you Mm -hmm. just go. 
And if, yeah. it's, no, it's really nice to have a language for that. Mm-hmm. It really is helpful to have a language for that. So yeah, that's good. What was your big idea for this week? What was your aha moment? What was an idea that you took away from this chapter? I think from this chapter, the biggest thing for me is that perfect when perfectionism is driving, shame is riding shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have always kind of dealt with this, this perfectionism as something that, you know, I just need to stop trying because I'm obviously I never achieved the perfectionism so like trying is really (laughs) a waste of energy anyway I mean if I was actually being perfect on any one of these you know metrics (laughs) which I would like to measure my own perfection uh, then we'd be getting somewhere but we're not Um, but the idea that perfectionism in and of itself isn't really where the problem lies the problem lies in in shame sitting shotgun encouraging perfectionism to to drive crazy on the road right you know right, right. um then i think that that for me was was an interesting conceptual space to kind of reframe the idea of the perfectionism not just as being something that is damaging to me but why why it has so much power in my life and it is because it is uh, you know it is an exercise in avoiding shame so how about for you? What did you feel was, uh, what was your big idea? So for me, the big idea is that hope is a cognitive process. Now, on page 202, she said, hope is not an emotion. It is a thought process made up of goals, pathways, and agency. And this is why I believe in the power of lifelong learning, because mm-hmm. hope can be taught as a process. You can mm-hmm. learn how to hope. I learned it and it saved me. I just didn't realize that I had learned it. I didn't realize that was what I had learned until Dr. Brown described hope as a process. I didn't recognize that my determination came from hope. And it's a good realization. And and I think if I had to start my you must be this tall list, I would start with the fact that I know how to hope. I think it's it's a superpower. That might be my favorite part. I'm not a sunny optimist. I'm not Uh a Pollyanna. But I know how to, I know how to, how to stand up. I know how to hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I never really thought about it before this, before reading that description before. All right. Well, that's very so, cool. Yeah. So what about the strong challenge? What did you resist? You know, I didn't resist much this week. It was, it's very professional, you know, mm-hmm. and like in, in the professional space, I'm like, I'm right on, I'm with it. I got it. It's good. You know, I'm handling yeah. it. Um, so because there wasn't that much personal where I felt I was challenged and I was on board with all the professional stuff, I really was like, yeah, I'm good. You know, there wasn't anything <laughs> that, that set me off this week. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Me too. And I didn't resist the book this week as much as I resisted trying some of the homework that you have attempted. So like, I really love your, I am already this tall list and I love Mm -hmm. seeing the list that people posted online, but I didn't write one. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of affirmations and I want to cheer you on to keep doing yours. And the video you made is groundbreaking and amazing, but I don't want to do that for myself. (laughs) So, um, and I, and I say that as in, I am resisting these things. Um, Mm -hmm. Which would lead me to my homework. I think I probably have to write a I am already this tall list because you've written one and other people have written one and I have to play along. So play I'm along. guessing that that's probably some homework that I need to do this week. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's a starting place. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you can, if, if the favorite part thing is a, an accessibility space for you. You know, if it makes that idea of that, that I am already this tall list, you know, something that you can, you can find your way into. I think that could be valuable. Yeah, I'm going to try. Right? So what, what, 
What about you? What's your yes? What's your action for this week? Oh, God. Um, you know, my yes, I think, is going to be continuing, of course, with the affirmations because I, I landed on a message that I think is working for me. Um, I'm feeling good, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm feeling um, peaceful in a weird way, like but just more, not entirely peaceful, but more peaceful than I felt in a long time. I'm feeling... And it's coming from like, um, okay, you know that TED talk about the Wonder Woman stance, I right? I love that. The you power You spread pose. your legs and you put yes. your fists on your, and the yes. thing is, is that you, when you do that, you are physically, you're braced, right? You're right. physically standing in a way that is, that is strong. And that feeling of strength goes through your body and into the way that you approach other people all day, right? Um, I am feeling like I'm, I'm in a wonder woman stance. Like my, my sense of peace isn't coming from escaping pain and escaping vulnerability and escaping shame and defending with these defense mechanisms against it. Right. You know, my great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all, it's all about <laughs> that. Right. Um, that I, I feel like where this piece is coming from my feet, it, the, this piece is coming from my feet being connected to the ground and, and I'm more secure in myself now than honestly I think I've ever been now granted that's a pretty low fucking bar but still a low bar like I've said a number of times benefits everybody um so so I'm I'm starting to focus on what I what I'm doing right what I'm doing well as opposed to being solely solely focused on what I'm doing wrong I'm trying to build on my strengths right what's your favorite part right. build on those strengths um, and use my strengths as a way to get past the things that are still tripping tripping me up you know avoiding the whole should language which I think is something again that I'm, I'm still working with so so unfortunately all of this for me is very theoretical you know I don't really have anything I don't have a specific action tied to this so I don't know if you have a homework assignment for me that could be specific maybe it's do the Wonder Woman stance physically every day maybe it's you know maybe that should be it because I do find the Wonder Woman stance you know humiliating and ridiculous but I think it's valuable and it works. <laughs> well so first of all I want to um I want to quote Dr. Brown Mm-hmm. Because this is describing you perfectly. On page 213, she says, People who wade into discomfort and vulnerability and tell the truth about their stories are the real badasses. Aww. And I think you have ascended to a new level of badassery. <laughs> so, you know, if Maslow has a hierarchy of needs, I think Lonnie and Kelly have a hierarchy of badassery. Aww. And it's just really cool. So you have leveled up. And I think I've it's amazing. Up. Oh you God, have leveled up. <laughs> and the the TED Talk, the the power poses TED Talk is 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 a real thing. I uh-huh. I always make my students watch it. So every class I teach, I usually assign something that they have to present, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a short presentation or a talk, and we watch the video together and then we all do the poses together as a group before mm-hmm. each person stands up to speak because mm-hmm. it does change the chemistry in your body. It does make you physically more yeah, confident. Yeah, the research is there. I mean, it, it is. is solid. Yeah. It is Although absolutely it does seem, there. you know, patently ridiculous. I'm not going to say that I am entirely comfortable with that, but <laughs> we will put the link to that in the show notes as well as yes. the Oprah podcast and everything we were talking about earlier. Yes. Um, so I think for you, you, you are now tapping into a new vein of strength and mm-hmm. you wrote a, I am already this tallest, which is fantastic. And those are attributes of who you are. So mm-hmm. I'm now going to challenge you for the next week to write a, 
um, a wins list or a, a victory list. list. Yes. Oh or a, I did the tall thing list. So mm-hmm. on that list, you keep a, a, a record of all the things that you do through the week that make you feel strong. Oh, and I'm not talking okay. about accomplishing tasks and I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. if you do something and you feel that strength, the same physical thing that you're going to feel mm-hmm. when you do the Wonder Woman pose, it goes on the list. So it's a Wonder Woman list. It's a Wonder Woman list. It's a Wonder and, Woman list. I yes, like it. A Wonder Woman list and nothing negative or self-deprecating is allowed on that list. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think right. that would be a really great homework for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you. I needed something specific. Yeah. I will make a Wonder Woman list. And I will make a I Am This Tall list. Okay. Uh, awesome. Even awesome. though it makes me cringe to say it. I will do it. I know, but I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. And folks, again, uh, we just want to remind you to call in and participate with us for what's going to be the, the finale of Rising Strong. Um, we want to hear from you. I want to hear these kind of ahas from the oh, folks yeah. that are participating with us because oh, yeah. the sharing of these things is, is just magic. It just Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So the phone number is 302-643-CHIP, 302-643-2447. Yes, please call in. All right. Awesome. And every week we end with a quote. This week's quote comes from the wonderful, the talented, the magical Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. who said, the one thing you have that nobody else has is you, your voice, your mind, your story, your vision. So write and draw and build and play and dance and live as only you can. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.